We are in um, the book of James today, and it's already been read, but I wanted to um, just highlight quickly, if you didn't get it, uh, we're talking about wisdom. Uh, everyone wants to be wise, right? Everyone wants to have wisdom in life, and almost everyone deep down considers them fairly wise. Few, I've never met someone that thought they were an idiot, um, but they, they felt like they had some wisdom, right, about life. Um, a friend of mine a few years ago was telling me about a story. He was listening to um, the American Life uh, show on NPR, and there was an episode called In Defense of Ignorance. And they told the story of a guy named MacArthur Wheeler, who in 1995 went into uh, several banks in Pennsylvania and robbed them with no mask on. Police identified him, they arrested him, uh, and as they were questioning him, he, uh, they, he said, oh, oh, you don't have me on video. He said, no, we have, you, we have you on video. He's like, no, you don't. And so they said, okay, we'll show it to you. So they showed him, and sure enough, there was his face in all of its glory. And, and he started to freak out, and he said, but, but I wore the juice. I wore the juice. And the police were like, what? What is happening? And he explained to them that he had read that if you smear lemon juice on your face, that a video camera cannot pick you up, or at least it'll blur the vision picture out. Um, he'd, he'd actually tested it very ineptly, but to his credit, he had actually tested it with his, with his camera phone, uh, or his own camera. He did not aim the camera well, so when he looked at the picture, of course he was not in it. It was not because it wasn't aimed at him. Um, what's, what's crazy, though, when you think about somebody like MacArthur Wheeler, you, you think, do they know they're an idiot? <laughs> Is there an awareness that, that they are unwise, right? Incompetent. And I realize this about, about wisdom in particular. We are um, not very good at recognizing our own need for it. Um, we, we, make, we make decisions every day, and some of them are wise and some of them are unwise, and yet we often make the unwise decisions with just as much confidence as the wise ones, Right? Uh, I've had to learn practically a need for wisdom, uh, two, two particular roles I have in my life that have pushed me uh, towards wisdom. One is being a pastor. Uh, it's kind of helpful to have wisdom if you're going to be a pastor because people ask you for wisdom. They, uh, they, they've got to make decisions. They've got, they're going through a struggle. They have relationship issues. So they ask, they're like, hey, can you help me out? So I, I've met with a lot of people over the years and, and they've asked for wisdom from me. So it's pushed me towards seeking wisdom. Uh, the other one is being a parent. And when you meet your child for the first time, your, your baby, and you realize you are responsible for that thing, and you're responsible for not just like feeding it and watering it, right, like a plant, but actually there's a lot of things that go into nurturing it so that thing grows up and then goes away <laughs> into the, and does good. Not terrible, not, not uh, MacArthur Wheeler type of things, right? You, you want to raise your child to be wise. And, that, and there will be all kinds of moments. There are certainly right or wrong moments, very clear as a parent. Um, when your child wants to play with the lighter, that's a, that, that doesn't, hmm, let me consult some wisdom on that. What, no, it says no, you know, easy. Uh, but when your child is struggling with this or they, they, they uh, disobey you in that way or uh, you realize, man, there's a lot more that goes into parenting than right or wrong. Uh, wisdom is essential. Today, what we're looking at in James 
There's two different kinds of wisdom, and he's calling us to seek true wisdom. Uh, if this is your first week, we are in a series through the book of James. It's, it's been a, a, a fun journey so far. We're roughly a little over halfway. We're on the back last uh, couple chapters now. Uh, if you have not gotten one, we do, I believe, have some journals out at the table out there, uh, journal, uh, James journals. When this is over, we kind of just have some extra journals, so <laughs> we're going to try to give them away. So if you do not have one, please grab one, because we don't want them when it's over. Uh, but what it is, is uh, it actually has James on one side and then a blank piece of paper on the other side, so you can take notes and, uh, during the series and, or draw pictures if that helps you. Uh, so far in James, we've already heard about wisdom. It was early on in James chapter 1, verse 5, when James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously, uh, to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God invites us to seek wisdom from him. Uh, he knows our need better than we do. He knows we need wisdom. Uh, and the big idea that we're going to see today in this passage is, and maybe you've picked up on it, this is we're all actually living out of wisdom. There's two types, though. There is earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. In a way, James, nowhere in Scripture does, any, do, uh, do, does Scripture really emphasize this idea of, of earthly wisdom versus godly wisdom. It's usually just kind of called foolishness like the book of Proverbs does. But James is saying basically that you, it's not that if you don't have godly wisdom, you don't make decisions. You just make bad ones, right? You, you live life, you value things, you decide right and wrong based on a different uh, framework of earthly wisdom. As a follower of Jesus, though, we are invited, we are, we are made to be marked by godly wisdom. We are invited into God's family. And just like my kids, uh, as they grew up in my household, hopefully I was instilling in them some of the wisdom I had so they didn't have to do, make dumb, some dumb decisions like I did. Um, and, and so God is like, I never made any mistakes and I've got tons of wisdom to give to you. You're now adopted into my family. I want you to grow up into that. And there's no doubt in James writing this that there was some real unwise earthly wisdom at work in the church. So what we're going to see is the fruit of wisdom, the foundation of wisdom, and the focus of wisdom in this passage. So let's talk about the fruit of wisdom first. This is just verse 13. Uh, but I want to define, define wisdom quickly. Uh, wisdom, uh, Tony Evans puts it this way, wisdom is the application of truth in everyday circumstances. It's the application of truth in everyday circumstances. So wisdom is not knowledge. You, you know the difference, right? You have that friend who, who like has a photographic memory, right? They just know everything. They can absorb all kinds of knowledge. And then, you know, they, they, they walk around with dirty clothes because they don't know where the washing machine is. Um, there's a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. Our city emphasizes knowledge. It does not emphasize wisdom. So sometimes we can hide behind the idea of I know a lot of things, and think that that leads to actual life, uh, application to life and, and living a wise life. The truth is, knowledge is important, but God does not limit someone's ability to live a wise life based on their intel IQ. There are people I have met uh, who didn't even finish high school, older generations, never finished high school, lived a very wise life. Older, uh, older, actually, Teresa's grandfather, I think of him, 
uh, had read the Bible through many, 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 many times, sought to live a wise life, was a good neighbor, modeled like kindness and generosity to others. Go, that's a wise man. He didn't get a, even a high school degree. It is not limited by your intelligence. It is, however, uh, limited by your willingness to seek wisdom. And what we have here in this passage is the, the easiest way to tell if you're wise is the, the fruit of your life. I see a wise person navigates life with God steering the ship. They, uh, a wisdom is seeking the kingdom of God in this world above your own uh, hopes and dreams. It is seeking God's direction and insight for your life. True wisdom is not theoretical. As I said, James says here, verse 13, by his good conduct, the, the person who's wise and understanding, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The word meekness here is translated in other places, humility or gentleness. Um, it, is a, <clears throat> it is not a passive gentleness like weakness. Um, it is power under control. Like when you see the video of the, of the giant African elephant that's like playing with a baby duckling or something, you know, that, that is a picture of meekness. There is absolute power there, but it is being gentle and operating in just the right way. Meekness uh, accompanies true wisdom. Uh, it is a characteristic of that type of wisdom. We do not value it, though, do we? How many people would we, would we describe uh, as we, we would look to for wisdom in life that we would say, man, they are just so humble, so meek, so gentle? How many people do we listen to every day for wisdom, and in fact, their life is the opposite of this? the opposite of gentleness, the opposite of meekness. It wasn't valued, it isn't valued now, it wasn't valued in Jesus's culture either. One scholar puts it this way, the dominant morality of the day associated, that is meekness, um, uh, associated meekness with meaning, meanness and groveling. It's linked with adjectives like ennoble, abject, servile, epictetus, it was a philosopher, named it in his list, first list of moral faults. It was number one in his list of moral faults is meekness. Meekness is seen as what? Weakness. But that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is telling us that, in fact, if you have wisdom inside you, it will come out of you in meekness. It will be demonstrated by a life that's under control. Power under control. So we're living out at all times either worldly wisdom or godly wisdom, and godly wisdom is reflected in that way. Now, how many of you feeling super godly, have a lot of godly wisdom today? Feeling, feeling that? Oh yeah, just overflowing in my life. Uh, it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to think about living a life uh, that demonstrates humility in, in, in every aspect and dimension. But if you want wisdom then you will seek humility. I would warn you, though, I said this last week about the tongue. Um, if you're seeking wisdom from people who aren't meek or humble, don't be surprised that you aren't either. I'm not saying you can't listen to somebody who isn't at any point. I'm saying if that's where you're getting most of your wisdom, your insights about life and meaning and value and purpose... You should be careful because they're modeling something for you besides godly wisdom. Uh, so we see that the fruit of the wise life is meekness. 
The second is the foundation of wisdom. We see worldly wisdom or godly wisdom has a foundation. Look at verses 14 through 18 again. He says, but if you have better jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, so he's, getting, he's digging behind, right? He's digging behind the external wisdom that people are living by and saying, if these things are in your heart and you're actually acting out of these things, stop lying. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It is, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James wants us to see that we are all acting with some kind of wisdom. Just because you don't have a grasp of good biblical wisdom doesn't mean you're not acting in some wisdom. It is just earthly wisdom. There are two foundations, and they are diametrically opposed to each other in life. One way you can tell who, which one you're being conformed by is who are you looking to as a wise person in your life, like a real person, somebody you look to, maybe you idealize, you hope to have or be what they are like now, someday in your life. We look at success, we look at power, we look at position, we look at influence, and we value those things and we go, I want to be like that person one day. The problem with that is you can have all of those things and your soul be shriveling up like a month-old flower bouquet. We've seen it, haven't we? We, we know that. We've, we, we hear stories. We've, when somebody's actually honest and they've reached that, that, that pinnacle and they finally kind of look at themselves and they go, I did it all, but I don't have it all. There's something I'm missing, right? And you can have all of these things. You can live a life that looks wise in the eyes of this world and, 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 and reach success and power and influence and position and then on the inside be absolutely dead. This is what Proverbs calls foolishness. This is the wisdom of the world. It's the, in matter of fact, the entire book of Proverbs is about wisdom, it is a series of, of wise sayings that Solomon said to his sons, and, and they're passed on. And I would encourage you, if you want to read uh, a book on wisdoms, there are a lot of practical wisdom in life, pick up Proverbs, start reading it. There's 31 Proverbs, just read whatever day of the month it is. So today, read the Proverbs 10, tomorrow read the 11th, and just if you miss one, just keep going, you'll get back to it next month. But I read that through, I, re- I did that many times actually in college. James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, it is full of wisdom, and he is helping us here to see the lens of, um, of wisdom in our life, and the foundation is either worldly wisdom or foolish, uh, worldly wisdom or, or godly wisdom. The problem with foolishness or earthly wisdom is we can really recognize it in other people. How many of you have had a friend, I won't say recently, and may not be maybe in the person in the room, a friend who made a foolish decision who in the moment you knew it was foolish? Right? We all did, right? We all have, have friends over the years. We saw them doing it. We said, that's a bad decision. That is not going to lead to life. It's not going to lead to flourishing. It's not going to lead to health or goodness. Now, Show of hands, how many of you are that quick at recognizing your own foolishness? Zero, right? 
We are great at seeing that in other people's lives, but when it comes to our own foolishness, we are blinded to it. This is because there's something deep in our hearts at work. You see, we tend to think of it, oh, I'm thinking, looking at it logically, right? Looking at the, making right. No, 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 you are not. Despite as much as you might try to be a logical creature, you are not driven by logic. You're driven far more by your feelings than you think. How you feel about something often determines what you will do about that thing. And James says here, uh, he refers to it as this underlying foundation of selfish ambition. He says if there's selfish ambition, this is a self-seeking attitude bent on gaining advantages and prestige for oneself. This uh, term colors the word jealousy here, and it literally means, so it literally means selfish zeal. It's often used, this, this language is often used of someone who is zealous for a cause. And you are, and I am. I am zealous. When it comes to me, I'm pretty zealous, right? We are all pretty zealous about what we want. About, and, and the problem is those desires, deep desires in our heart, are shaped not by God, but by our selfish ambition. In the Old Testament, in the book of, uh, book of Judges, it's, it's a really interesting study. It's a, it's a cycle that happens over and over and over again. And it's, it's right after Joshua had led the people into the promised land, but before uh, Saul became king. And so there's this period of time where God had these judges, and there's this cycle of like, rebellion and foolishness, and God raises up a judge. But one of the interesting things is there's a phrase that's repeated in there. It says, there was no king in the land. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You see, that's a parable for you and I. How, how many of us struggle to do what is right in our own eyes? I've never met anyone. It's like, you know, I just, I just don't like doing what I like to do. I just don't want to do it, you know? <laughs> We, we will always, in, de, un, in default, do what we think is right in our own eyes in the moment. And that is the danger of it. We don't stop and question it. We don't look at it. We don't evaluate it because it looks right. We think it's right and it feels right. And we don't dig under that action and ask, why am I passionate about that? Why, what is driving me towards that thing? And James is saying there is selfish ambition. Your heart burns with jealousy and wanting something that's not yours, that you don't have. It's a, jealousy is a form of selfish ambition. And then he digs under this selfish ambition and he just classifies it. He goes, it is earthly. This wisdom is, look at this, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. I, you know what? When I, when I do something that's unwise, I just kind of chalk it up and go, that wasn't a great decision. I don't describe it as earthly, unspiritual, demonic, right? That sounds awful harsh. Can we soften, James, can we soften these terms? Can we say it was not a smart decision? It was maybe not the best choice, right? No, he's saying when we act out of this, there is something very base that is happening in us earthly, that is opposed to heavenly or godly, unspiritual, meaning fleshly. We're not acting out of the eternal spirit. We are acting out of the temporary flesh. And then demonic, as, a, as meaning as an opposed to Jesus and his kingdom. 
That kind of sobers up our decisions, doesn't it? A little less quick to just call something, oh, that was unwise. You see, when I'm acting out of human wisdom, I am setting myself up against God. And this root goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. You know, in the garden, it's interesting because we, we tend to think these types of this earthly, unspiritual, demonic decisions, that's when we're, we're just like, you know, we're, we're doing something like, like murder, right? That's, that, oh, that's so clear. We'd all agree that that's really bad. But in fact, it is often taking God's word and twisting it just a bit. It's often not doing something and, and redefining something that God has said. You know, Eve in the garden, when, when, uh, when the serpent came to her and said, uh, you can eat a, a, of, of this tree, it will not kill you, you will not die, right? She, she began to entertain the thoughts of it, then she looked at it and she said, it, it, oh, it was delightful, it, 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 could, be, it could actually uh, benefit me, it could make me wiser, this is good. It's redefining what is truly good. And replacing God's definitions with your definitions. Do you see how subtle this is? If you don't, you are unwise. (laughs) It happens every day. Every moment you sin is a decision rooted in a wisdom, a way of thinking about life, a framework that leads to action in your life. And when you are valuing a sin, you are simply saying, God is not good. God is withholding from me. God is keeping me from happiness and joy, so therefore I will do this thing. That's why it's dangerous. Jackie Hill Perry said, there are millions of people in bondage to sin, not because they don't read the Bible, but because they made its contents mean something it doesn't. And it has been happening since the beginning of the church, and it continues to happen today. And I think one of the biggest foundations in our culture, so this earthly mindset, this earthly wisdom that we see operating in our culture, uh, I I see a a new sort of um, way of framing it, and that is feelings. I'm a fan of feelings. I think feelings are good. God made us to have feelings, right? Feelings are often a great uh, barometer of what's happening in your life. They are not a great thermostat. They, you don't set your life by your feelings. You, your feelings often reflect your heart, reflect where you are, reflect what's going on. They are not great at helping you make wise decisions. But in our culture, feelings are king. They determine truth. They create real meaning. They frame out what is right and wrong, and they decide what is wise. If you just step back from your own life for a moment... How reliable have your feelings been through your lifetime? I can tell you at one point, well, I can tell you if, my fee, if I had acted on my feelings at one point, I wouldn't be married to Teresa because there was someone else that I thought I wanted to marry. Fortunately, God didn't let my feelings rule my life. <laughs> feelings are often opposed to the wisdom of God, but will reveal to us where we are in relation to God. If I'm angry, why am I angry? Am I angry because I'm losing control? Am I angry because there's an injustice that is happening? 
that God would be upset about? There are lots of different kinds of anger. The next time you have a feeling, very strong feeling that's leading you to act on something, ask yourself a very simple question. What is behind this feeling? And you will begin to live a wise life. Because our culture says, well, if you have the feeling, you must act on it. Tony Evans says, if you're going to be wise, you must adjust your feelings to your faith and not adjust your faith to your feelings. I cannot tell you how many times over last 20 years I've heard people say, well, I just feel like God isn't like this. I just feel God isn't like that. And, and I go, okay, like we're all entitled to our feelings. I think that's fine. There's places in the Bible where, where, where people are like, well, God, how could you be like this? Right? You know, they, they have questions, right? That's fine. It's, it's when we start asserting truth about God that God is not said. Did you know that the entire book of, of, of Job, near the end, it's one of the things I'll never forget reading all my life that God just like stuck with me and stuck in my heart, is that Job's friends said a lot of things that were kind of fairly true. They were wise principles that said to Job, but at the end, they had said a lot of things about God that were not true, and God was ready to smoke them. And he actually says, you have said what is not true true about me. You better ask your friend Job to intercede or you're done. God does not have any patience for people who redefine who he is and what he has said. This is one of the reasons why we as a church come in under the authority of God's word, not the authority of of bland. And I will say this, I say it occasionally. If you ever hear me saying something in my sermon from the, that I'm saying God says and the word says this and you do not believe it is in scripture, come to me. I'm not above making an error. It's a, it might be a good, unintentional, hopefully an unintentional one, but I'm not above saying something that, that, that's not correct. And so we come in under God's word and that's where the foundation of godly wisdom comes because Proverbs 14 21 says there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death in other words there I can say this as practically as I can to you right now every area of your life that is foolishness right now every area that is foolishness is there because you have mistaken it for wisdom And the only thing that can awaken you is, is God's spirit. It's only God's spirit that can help you begin to see true wisdom that is found in him. Verse 15, he says, this godly wisdom is from above. It's from God and it produces godliness and Christ-like character in us. And this wisdom is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. Let's just take that little definition right there. Do we see a lot of that in our world today? Do we see any of that in our world today? I'm telling you, a truly wise Christian, a Christian who embraces godly godly wisdom, submits their life to God's wisdom, will begin to reflect this and begin to, to, to... to be odd in a beautiful and attractive way, right? Because you won't, you you cannot get sucked up into the wisdom of the world, the operating system of the world. People will push on you, but you'll be peaceable. People will be harsh with you, you'll be gentle. 
People will be intolerant to you, but you will be open to reason. People will be cruel to you, but you will be full of mercy. You will, people will act in cruel ways to you, but you will be full of good fruits. People will play favorites, but you will be impartial. People will be underhanded with you, but you will be sincere. Do you see the power of this? Do you see the picture Christ is, Christ is raising up a kingdom of people in this city to live like that? That's what he's doing. That's, I mean, the, the, our hope of being a church, uh, our church name of being a city upon a hill, right, that shines the light of the gospel, is, is not because we, we buy some really high watt light bulbs, it is because we are fundamentally operating out of a different wisdom than this world is. And when people are losing their minds around us, we are able to be peaceable, gentle, meek. When people are scraping and scratching and clawing to get their way, we're like, no, we're here to, how can we serve you? Gentleness and merciful. And look at 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is a harvest we'd see in our city. This brings us back to the root of it, though. What is the root of wisdom that you and I need to, what is the true north of wisdom today? And I would say that, that it, in one sense, it's God's word. We'll talk about that. But, it, but I would argue even more than that, there is, there is an alignment in your heart which allows you to read God's word, which allows you to submit to his wisdom, which allows you to see foolishness in your life. And that is, Proverbs tell us, is actually the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, I know we're all like, oh, I don't like that. Fear is scary. You're reading fear as in like the horror, you know, rated R horror movies. That's not the same kind of fear. This is a, this is a reverential fear, like an awe at, some, at someone or something. Michael Reeves I wrote a book called Rejoice and Tremble, The Surprising News of the Fear of the Lord. He said it this way. It's amazing. The fear of God is a way of speaking about the sheer intensity of the saint's happiness in God. Our desire for God and delight in him are not intended to be lukewarm as our love for God is a trembling and wonder-filled love. So our joy in God is at its purest, a trembling and wonder-filled, yes, fearful joy. Do you see the foundation here? Because out of that, you begin to, to, to want to know God's word. Out of that, you want to walk with him in life. You want to live a wise life. And James 1.5, we've already heard it. He will not hold that back from you if you ask for it. If you want it, you ask for it, he will give it to you. That's the foundations. Earthly wisdom, godly wisdom. Earthly wisdom rooted in our own passions and desires, Godly wisdom is also rooted in a passion of the heart, but it is a passion for God. And finally here, the focus of wisdom, verses one through three of chapter four. You see, this ungodly wisdom is seen in focusing and acting on disordered desires of the heart, what he calls passions here, that spill over into our lives. Oftentimes, Oftentimes we try to fix the action and not the wisdom that's shaping that action. If, if you're a faucet, you go home today and your faucet starts pewing sewage, do you blame the faucet? 
Or do you go, no, no, there's something behind this. There's something deeper than this. I've got a plumbing problem. I need to call a plumber. The faucet's not the issue, really. And so as your life is just going to reflect the wisdom of your heart, the focus of your heart. And so if, if your life is, is, not, is reflecting unwise decisions, then don't go, well, you know, I need to work on this, and I need to stop trying to do that, and I need to fix this thing, unwise thing about my life. You need to ask yourself, what's going on in my heart? Because he says, what, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? This is that selfish ambition and bitter jealousy again. The passions, the word passions there is the Greek word where we get our word hedonism from. It's a desire for pleasure in your heart. God's not against pleasure. God created your desire for pleasure. He created many pleasurable experiences in this world. But what sin has done and foolishness does in our heart is takes pleasure out of God's sphere and seeks it for ourselves in our own ways. He says these are unmet desires. They wage war against our souls. We are in bondage to our feelings, our own hopes, our own dreams, our own successes, our own pleasure. But he is focusing, he's saying God needs to be our passion. God needs to be our delight. He goes, look at verse three. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So there's, what's interesting here is you can read this negatively and it is there, but there's also two positive aspects here. There's two potential reasons why you don't have the things you desire that God, God is inviting you to. You haven't asked God for it. You simply haven't prayed. You have not because you ask not. And then secondly, you've asked for something that will ultimately push you away from him. And so God is withholding something from you, not because uh, he is against you, but because he's for you. You see, real wisdom is not focused on my passions, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, but on God's kingdom, God's world, and God himself. That's the difference in your heart, the focus. You know, I love um, Jesus. Jesus is such an example to us, not just, I mean, obviously, his, his death on the cross is such is the center of the Christian faith, but his life itself demonstrates so many wise principles for us. And one that I can think of in particular is God is not resenting your passions or your, your desires right now. Even your desire for comfort or your desire for pleasure, he's, he's not against that. And he would actually have you come ask him for it. If you, if you want to be married, you, you just really hope to get married someday, God's like, pray for that. Come to me, pray for that. But Jesus modeled in the garden for us a very, uh, that in the moment he was pleading with God to let him not have to go through this, right? He said, God, if this cup can pass from me. We often forget that part, right? We often forget that Jesus was saying, oh, I don't want this. Oh, no, 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 no. I do, do not want this in any way. There is nothing in my body that wants to go to the cross right now. I Feel, I, I, I feel the pain. I feel that it's going to happen and I, I, I don't want it in this moment. But what does he say? But nonetheless, not 
my passions, my will, my desires, my ambition, but your will be done. Jesus submitted to the Father. So you want to grow in wisdom? I'm not even going to get to explain them, but there are five things on the screen. I hate to leave, I hate to leave a sermon where we talk about all this and then don't give you uh, some, some next steps because it can feel super heavy or you might be walking away going, okay, I don't have it. I don't have it. I need more wisdom. I don't, I don't have enough godly wisdom in my life. I've got too much ungodly wisdom, worldly wisdom. The first is pray for wisdom. James 1.5, right? I've already said it. Secondly, grow in the knowledge of God's word. You will never, ever grow in wisdom apart from growing in the knowledge of God's word. These two are antithetical. They do not, God has given you his word for to help you grow in wisdom. Thirdly, gain wisdom in community. Did you know by hanging around with wise people in community, you, you can gain the wisdom of other people? When, when, you, when you're facing a decision and you start asking other people who love Jesus around you to speak into that, what do you get? You get some wisdom that you don't have. You get insight that you don't have. So you need to be in a community group. And then fourthly, Befriend a wise person, like, a, like a, a mentor, somebody you look up to that you respect and go, they are wise, that is a wise person. They are ahead of me in life. They have some wisdom that I don't have. Listen, it is inevitable. You will never find wisdom, uh, to ex- very little wisdom among your age group that will exceed your own. There will be some, but the wisest people are the people who have the most life experience. Not, that doesn't mean every person who has life experience is wise. They may have been living a very unwise life. But the, 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 the way God designs wisdom, he designs it that, that the older you are, the more wisdom you have gained. And then finally, seek the Spirit. I'd love to dig into this, but Galatians 5, 16 uh, and following is a parallel passage to this one. He doesn't describe it as wisdom. He describes it as deeds of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. And there's so much language here that's the same. So I encourage you, seek the Spirit to give you wisdom. As we move to our time of communion, living a wise life is a life fully surrendered to Christ. And living a wise life is living a life with Christ. That's the invitation today for all of us. For all of us that are, uh, every one of us, if you're a Christian, I hope, I hope you recognize some unwise things in your life because you are not there yet. And if you don't see those things, then I would ask you to take this time to pray. Lord, how am I living unwisely? How am I thinking about things unwisely? Ask God to give you wisdom. He wants to. But we're going to move into our time of communion. And I love the fact that not only did Jesus live out under the wisdom of God, but he himself is the wisdom of God. So when you get Jesus, you get wisdom. There's a, there's a baseline orientation and I would argue impetus in your life when you are in Christ. So today, I encourage you, repent of the unwise things in your life. Repent of the passions and selfish desire and jealousy in your heart. Repent of those things and look to Jesus afresh and anew. Experience that re- renewing that you and I desperately need. We're going to move into communion. And if you're a follower of Christ, I encourage you during this next song to uh, slip out. You can make your way to the front, out that door. We have to take communion outside uh, because there's no food or drink in here. Um, But you can take communion and then drop your trash on your way back in the back door. But take the time you need to during this song. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. Um, I'm going to pray. So let's go ahead and stand.
I'll pray together and then we'll respond together. Jesus, you are the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God sacrificed on a cross for us. And I thank you that you humbly and meekly lived your life among us in wisdom. Lord, we know we can't live up to that on our own, but thank you, Jesus, that you come to live in us through your spirit. I pray as we take the bread, we think of your body broken for us. As we take the cup, we remember your body, your your blood poured out for us that cleanses us and makes us new. We take it in joy today, Jesus. Help us as a church to be a wise people, fully submitted to you, fully surrendered to you in this world. For your glory, for the good of our city, we pray. Amen.